Autoeroticism, a study of the spontaneous manifestations of the sexual impulse, Part One, Section Four of Studies in the Psychology of Sex, Volume One, by Havelock Ellis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by J. C. Guan. Autoeroticism. A Study of the Spontaneous Manifestations of the Sexual Impulse, Part 1, Section 4. So far as I have been able to ascertain, there seems to be, generally speaking, certain differences in the manifestations of autoerotism during sleep in men and women, which I believe to be not without psychological significance. In men, the phenomenon is fairly simple. It usually appears about puberty, continues at intervals of varying duration during sexual life, provided the individual is living chastely, and is generally, though not always, accompanied by erotic dreams which lead up to the climax, its occurrence being, to some extent, influenced by a variety of circumstances, physical, mental, or emotional excitement, alcohol taken before retiring, position in bed, as lying on the back, the state of the bladder, sometimes the mere fact of being in a strange bed, and, to some extent, apparently by the existence of monthly and yearly rhythms. On the whole, it is a fairly definite and regular phenomenon, which usually leaves little conscious trace on awaking, beyond probably some sense of fatigue and, occasionally, a headache. In women, however, the phenomena of autoerotism during sleep seem to be much more irregular, varied and diffused. So far as I have been able to make inquiries, it is the exception rather than the rule for girls to experience definitely erotic dreams about the period of puberty or adolescence. Autoerotic phenomena during sleep in women who have never experienced the orgasm when awake are usually of a very vague kind. While it is the rule in a chaste youth for the orgasm thus to manifest itself, it is the exception in a chaste girl. It is not, as a rule, until the orgasm has been definitely produced in the waking state, under whatever conditions it may have been produced, that it begins to occur during sleep, and even in a strongly sexual woman living a repressed life, it is often comparatively infrequent. Thus a young medical woman, who endeavors to deal strenuously with her physical sexual emotions, writes, I sleep soundly, and do not dream at all. Occasionally, but very rarely, I have had sensations which awakens me suddenly. They can scarcely be called dreams, for they are mere impulses, nothing connected or coherent, yet prompted, I know, by sexual feeling. This is probably an experience common to all. Another lady, with a restrained psychosexual tendency to be attracted to both sexes, states that her first sexual sensations with orgasm were felt in dreams at the age of sixteen, but these dreams, which she has now forgotten, were not agreeable and not erotic. Two or three years later, spontaneous orgasm began to occur occasionally when awake, and after this, orgasm took place regularly once or twice a week in sleep, but still without erotic dreams. She merely dreamt that the orgasm was occurring, and awoke as it took place. It is possible that to the comparative rarity in chaste women of complete orgasm during sleep, we may in part attribute the violence with which repressed sexual emotion in women often manifests itself. There is thus a difference, here, 
between men and women, which is of some significance when we are considering the natural satisfaction of the sexual impulse in chaste women. In women, who have become accustomed to sexual intercourse, erotic dreams of fully developed character occur, with complete orgasm and accompanying relief, as may occasionally be the case in women who are not acquainted with actual intercourse. Some women, however, even when familiar with actual coitus, find that sexual dreams, though accompanied by emissions, are only the symptoms of desire, and do not produce actual relief. Some interest attaches to cases in which young women, even girls at puberty, experience dreams of erotic character, or at all events dreams considering coitus or men in erection, although they profess, and almost certainly with truth, to be quite ignorant of sexual phenomena. Several such dreams of remarkable character have been communicated to me. One can imagine that the psychologists of some schools would see in these dreams the spontaneous eruption of the experiences of the race. I am inclined to regard them as forgotten memories, such as we know to occur sometimes in sleep. The child has somehow seen or heard of sexual phenomena, and felt no interest, and the memory may subsequently be aroused in sleep, under the stimulation of newborn sexual sensations. It is a curious proof of the ignorance which has prevailed in the recent times concerning the psychic sexual nature of women that, although in earlier ages the fact that women are normally liable to erotic dreams was fully recognized, in recent times it has been denied even by writers who have made a special study of the sexual impulse in women. Eulenburg, Sexuale Neuropathie, 1895, pages 31 and 79 appears to regard the appearances of sexual phenomena during sleep in women as the result of masturbation. Adler, in what is, in many respects, an extremely careful study of sexual phenomena in women, Die mangelhafte Geschlechtsempfindung des Weibes, 1904, page 130, boldly states that they do not have erotic dreams. In 1847, E. Gibou, Des pollutions involontaires de la femme, Union Médicale, page 260, presented the case of a married lady who masturbated from the age of ten and continued the practice, even after her marriage at twenty-four, and at twenty-nine began to have erotic dreams with emissions every night, and later sometimes even several times a night, though they ceased to be voluptuous. He believed the case to be the first ever reported of such a condition in a woman. Yet, thousands of years ago, the Indian of Vedic days recognized erotic dreams in women as an ordinary and normal occurrence. Lohenfeld quotes a passage to this effect from the Upnekat, Sexualleben und Nervenleiden, 2nd edition, page 114. Even savages recognized the occurrence of erotic dreams in women as normal, for the Papuans, for instance, believe that a young girl's first menstruation is due to intercourse with the moon in the shape of a man the girl dreaming that a man is embracing her. Reports, Cambridge Expedition to Torres Straits, Volume 5, page 206. In the 17th century, Rolfinches, in a well-informed study, De Pollucione Nocturna, a Jena inaugural dissertation, 1667, concluded that women experience such manifestations, and quotes Aristotle, Galen, and Fernelius in the same sense. Sir Thomas Overbury, in his characters, 
written in the early part of the same century, describing the ideal milkmaid, says that her dreams are so chaste that she dare tell them, clearly implying that it was not so with most women. The notion that women are not subject to erotic dreams thus appears to be of comparatively recent origin. One of the most interesting and important characters by which the erotic dreams of women, and indeed their dreams generally, differ from those of men, is in the tendency to evoke a repercussion on the waking life, a tendency more rarely noted in men's erotic dreams, and then only to a minor extent. This is a very common, even in healthy and normal women, and is exaggerated to a high degree in neurotic subjects, by whom the dream may even be interpreted as a reality, and so declared on oath a fact of practical importance. Hersman, having met with a case in which a schoolgirl with Korea, after having dreamed of an assault, accused the principal of a school of assault, securing his conviction, obtained the opinions of various American alienists as to the frequency with which such dreams in unstable mental subjects lead to delusions and criminal accusations. Durkham, H. C. Wood, and Rohe had not personally met with such cases. Burr believed that there was strong evidence that sexual dream may be so vivid as to make the subject believe she has had sexual congress. Kiernan knew of such cases. C. H. Hughes, in persons with every appearance of sanity, had known the erotic dreams of the night to become the erotic delusions of the day, the patient protesting violently the truth of her story, while Hersman reports the case of a young lady in an asylum who had nightly delusions that a medical officer visited her every night and had to do with her. Coming up, the hot air flew. I am acquainted with a similar case in a clever but highly neurotic young woman who writes, for years, I have been trying to stamp out my passional nature, and was beginning to succeed when a strange thing happened to me last autumn. One night, as I lay in bed, I felt an influence so powerful that a man seemed present with me. I crimsoned with shame and wonder. I remember that I lay upon my back and marveled when the spell had passed. The influence, I was assured, came from a priest whom I believed in and admired above everyone in the world. I had never dreamed of love in connection with him, because I always thought him so far above me. The influence has been upon me ever since, sometimes by day, and nearly always by night. From it I generally go into a deep sleep, which lasts until morning. I am always much refreshed when I awake. This influence has the best effect upon my life that anything has ever had as regards health and mind. It is the knowledge that I am loved fittingly that makes me so indifferent to my future. What worries me is that I sometimes wonder if I suffer from a nervous disorder merely. The subject thus seemed to regard these occurrences as objectively caused, but was sufficiently sane to wonder whether her experiences were not due to mental disorder. The tendency of the auto-erotic phenomena of sleep to be manifested with such energy as to flow over into the waking life and influence conscious emotion and action, while very well marked in normal and healthy women, is seen to an exaggerated extent in hysterical women, in whom it has, therefore, chiefly been studied. Sante de Sanctis, who has investigated the dreams of many classes of people, remarks 
on the frequently sexual character of the dreams of hysterical women, and the repercussion of such dreams on the waking life of the following day. He gives a typical case of hysterical erotic dreaming in an uneducated servant girl of twenty-three, in whom such dreams occur usually a few days before the menstrual period. Her dreams, especially if erotic, make an enormous impression on her. In the morning she is bad-tempered if they were unpleasant, whilst she feels lascivious and gives herself up to masturbation if she has had erotic dreams of men. She then has a feeling of pleasure throughout the day, and her sexual organs are bathed with moisture. Pitre and Gilles de la Tourette, two of Charcot's most distinguished pupils, in their elaborate works on hysteria, both consider that dreams generally have a great influence on the waking life of the hysterical, and they deal with the special influence of erotic dreams, to which, doubtless, we must refer those conceptions of incubi and succubi, which played so vast and so important a part in the demonology of the Middle Ages, and while not unknown in men, were most frequent in women. Such erotic dreams, as these observers, confirming the experience of old writers, have found among the hysterical today, are by no means always, or even usually, of a pleasurable character. It is very rare, Petra remarks, when insisting on the sexual character of the hallucinations of the hysterical, for these erotic hallucinations to be accompanied by agreeable voluptuous sensations. In most cases, the illusion of sexual intercourse even provokes acute pain. The witches of old times nearly all affirmed that in their relations with the devil they suffered greatly. They said that his organ was long and rough and pointed, with scales which lifted on withdrawal and tore the vagina. It seems probable, I may remark, that the witches' representations, both of the devil and of sexual intercourse, were largely influenced by familiarity with the coupling of animals. As Gilles de la Tourette is careful to warn his readers, we must not too hastily resume, from the prevalence of nocturnal autoerotic phenomena in hysterical women, that such women are necessarily sexual and libidinous in excess. The disorder is in them psychic, he points out, and not physical, and they usually receive sexual approaches with indifference and repugnance, because their sexual centers are anesthetic or hyperesthetic. During the period of sexual activity, they seek much more the care and delicate attention of men than the genital act, which they often only tolerate. Many households, begun under the happiest auspices, the bride all the more apt to believe that she loves her betrothed in virtue of her suggestibility, easily exalted, perhaps at the expense of the senses, become hells on earth. The sexual act has for the hysterical woman more than one disillusion. She cannot understand it. It inspires her with insurmountable repugnance. I refer to these hysterical phenomena because they present to us, in an extreme form, facts which are common among women whom, under the artificial conditions of civilized life, we are compelled to regard as ordinarily healthy and normal. The frequent painfulness of autoerotic phenomena is by no means an exclusive hysterical phenomenon, although often seen in a heightened form in hysterical conditions. It is probably, to some extent, simply the result of a conflict in consciousness with a mere physical impulse which is strong enough to assert itself in spite of the emotional and intellectual abhorrence of the subject. 
it is thus but an extreme form of the disgust which all sexual physical manifestations tend to inspire in a person who is not inclined to respond to them somewhat similar psychic disgust and physical pain are produced in the attempts to stimulate the sexual emotions and organs when these are exhausted by exercise in the detailed history which Moll presents of the sexual experiences of a sister in an american nursing guild a most instructive history of a woman fairly normal except for the results of repressed sexual emotion and with strong moral tendencies various episodes are narrated well illustrating the way in which sexual excitement becomes unpleasant or even painful when it takes place as a physical reflex which the emotions and intellect are all at the time struggling against it is quite probable however that there is a psychological as well as a psychic factor in this phenomenon and solier in his elaborate study of the nature and genesis of hysteria by insisting on the capital importance of the disturbance of sensibility in hysteria and the definite character of the phenomena produced in the passage between anesthesia and normal sensation has greatly helped to reveal the mechanism of this feature of autoerotic excitement in the hysterical no doubt there has been a tendency to exaggerate the unpleasant character of the autoerotic phenomena of hysteria that tendency was an inevitable reaction against an earlier view according to which hysteria was little more than an unconscious expression of the sexual emotions and as such was unscientifically dismissed without any careful investigation i agree with brewer and freud that the sexual needs of the hysterical are just as individual and various as those of normal women but that they suffer from them more largely through a moral struggle with their own instincts and the attempt to put them into the background of consciousness in many hysterical and physically abnormal women other erotic phenomena and sexual phenomena generally are highly pleasurable though such persons may be quite innocent of any knowledge of the erotic character of the experience i have come across interesting and extreme examples of this in the published experiences of the women followers of the american religious leader t l harris founder of the brotherhood of the new life thus in a pamphlet entitled internal respiration by respiro a letter is quoted from a lady physician who writes one morning i awoke with a strange new feeling in the womb which lasted for a day or two i was so very happy but the joy was in my womb not in my heart at last writes a lady quoted in the same pamphlet i fell into a slumber lying on my back with arms and feet folded a position i almost always find myself in when i awake no matter in which position i may go to sleep very soon i awoke from this slumber with a most delightful sensation every fibre tingling with an exquisite glow of warmth i was lying on my left side something i am never able to do and was folded in the arms of my counterpart unless you have seen it i cannot give you an idea of the beauty of his flesh and with what joy i beheld and felt it think of it luminous flesh and oh such tints you never could imagine without seeing he folded me so closely in his arms etc in such cases there is no conflict between the physical and the psychic and therefore the resulting excitement is pleasurable and not painful at this point 
our study of autoerotism brings us into the sphere of mysticism. Luba, in a penetrating and suggestive essay on Christian mysticism, after quoting the present study, refers to the famous passages in which St. Teresa describes how a beautiful little angel inserted a flint dart into her heart until it descended into her bowels and left her inflamed with divine love. What psychological difference, he asks, is there between this voluptuous sensation and that enjoyed by the disciple of the brotherhood of new life? St. Teresa says bowels, the woman doctor says womb, that is all. The extreme form of autoerotism is the tendency for the sexual emotion to be absorbed and often entirely lost in self-admiration. This narcissus-like tendency, of which the normal germ in women is symbolized by the mirror, is found in a mirror degree in some men, and is sometimes well-marked in women, usually in association with an attraction for other persons, to which attraction it is, of course, normally subservient. The mirror remarks Bloch, Beträge, 1, page 201, plays an important part in the genesis of sexual aberration. It cannot be doubted that many a boy and girl have first experienced sexual excitement at the sight of their own bodies in the mirror. Valera, the Spanish novelist, very well described this impulse in his Guiño y Figura. Rafaela, the heroine of this novel, says that, after her bath, I fall into a puerility which may be innocent or vicious, I cannot decide. I only know that it is a purely contemplative act, a disinterested admiration of beauty. It is not coarse sensuality, but aesthetic platonism. I imitate Narcissus, and I apply my lips to the cold surface of the mirror and kiss my image. It is the love of beauty the expression of tenderness and affection for what God has made manifest, in an ingenious kiss imprinted on the empty and incorporeal reflection. In the same spirit, the real heroine of the Tagebuch einer Verlorenen, page 114, at the point when she was about to become a prostitute, wrote, I am pretty. It gives me pleasure to throw off my clothes one by one before the mirror and to look at myself, just as I am, white as snow and straight as a fur, with my long, fine hair, like a cloak of black silk. When I spread abroad the black stream of it, with both hands, I am like a white swan with black wings. A typical case known to me is that of a lady of twenty-eight, brought up on a farm. She is a handsome woman, of very large and fine proportions, active and healthy and intelligent, with, however, no marked sexual attraction to the opposite sex. At that same time she is not inverted, though she would like to be a man, and has a considerable degree of contempt for women. She has an intense admiration for her own person, especially her limbs. She is never so happy as when alone and naked in her own bedroom, and, so far as possible, she cultivates nakedness. She knows by heart the various measurements of her body, is proud of the fact that they are strictly in accordance with the canons of proportion, and she laughs proudly that her thigh is larger than many a woman's waist. She is frank and assured in her manners, without sexual shyness, and while willing to receive the attention and admiration of others, she makes no attempt to gain it, 
and seems never to have experienced any emotions stronger than her own pleasure in herself. I should add that I have had no opportunity of detailed examination, and cannot speak positively as to the absence of masturbation. In the extreme form in which alone the name of Narcissus may properly be invoked, there is comparative indifference to sexual intercourse, or even the admiration of the opposite sex. Such a condition seems to be rare, except perhaps in insanity. Since I called attention to this form of autoerotism, alienist and neurologist, April 1898, several writers have discussed the condition, especially Nika, who, following out the suggestion, terms the condition narcissism. Among a thousand and five hundred insane persons, Nick has found it in four men and one woman. Psychiatrische und Neurologische Bladen, number 2, 1899. Dr. C. H. Hughes writes in a private letter that he is acquainted with such cases, in which men have been absorbed in admiration of their own manly forms, and of their sexual organs, and women, likewise, absorbed in admiration of their own mammae, and physical proportions, especially of limbs. The whole subject, he adds, is a singular phase of psychology, and it is not at all morbid psychology, either. It is closely allied to that aesthetic sense which admires the nude in art. Ferré, L'Instant Sexuel, 2nd edition, page 271, mentions a woman who experienced sexual excitement in kissing her own hand. Necker knew a woman in an asylum who, during periodical fits of excitement, would kiss her own arms and hands, at the same time looking like a person in love. He also knew of a young man with dementia precox, who would kiss his own image. Der Kuss bei Geisteskranken Allgemeine Zeitschrift für Psychiatrie, Band 63, page 127 Moll refers to a young homosexual lawyer who experienced great pleasure in gazing at himself in a mirror. Contraire sexualempfindung, third edition, page two twenty eight, and mentions another inverted man, an admirer of the nates of men, who, chancing to observe his own nates in a mirror, when changing his shirt, was struck by their beauty, and subsequently found pleasure in admiring them. Libido sexualis, bound one, thyle one. Page 60. Kaft Ebing knew a man who masturbated before a mirror, imagining at the same time how much better a real lover would be. The best observed cases of narcissism have, however, been recorded by Rolider, who confers upon this condition the ponderous name of automonosexualism, and believes that it has not been previously observed. H. Rolider, der Autonomosexualismus, being Heft 225 of Berliner Klinik, March 1907. In the two cases investigated by Rolder, both men, there was sexual excitement in the contemplation of the individual's own body, actually or in a mirror, with little or no sexual attraction to other persons. Rolder is inclined to regard the condition as due to a congenital defect in the sexual center of the brain. End of Autoeroticism, Part 1, Section 4